This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Only the Dead, the sixth novel in my James Reese Terminal List series, hits shelves this spring. Go to officialjackcar.com, click on Only the Dead for a sneak peek and to pre-order now. My guest today, Craig Chili Palmer. He spent 25 years in the United States military, 17 of those at the Army's top-tier special operations unit. But before that, he was at a Ranger Battalion, and just a couple months into his time in the military, he jumped into Panama. Incredible. Since he left the military, he has done technical advising on films like Extraction, The Gray Man, and the upcoming Extraction 2. You can also find him on the range at Sig Sauer Academy. Now, without further ado, Craig Chili Palmer. There we go. Chili, what's up, man? How you doing, Jack? How are you? All right. Finally, we get this thing on there. Huh? I know. I know. Thanks for taking the time to, to do it. I sincerely appreciate it. I've been really looking forward to this. Yeah, no. Glad we can, man. Glad we can. Yeah, you've been busy. I mean, not just uh, <laughs> all the time you spend in the military, but since you've gotten out, it's been so cool to see, especially extraction. I mean, that was awesome. Um, that's when I think I first became aware that you were doing that sort of thing and in Hollywood. And what, what a cool film. And I'm super excited about extraction, too coming out here pretty soon. Yeah, I mean, it's been great stuff. I mean, just by, you know, chance of meeting a, a great friend now that's a producer and being able to be brought into that and that whole world of uh, helping out. And it's been great so far. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, really enjoyable. And it's it's cool just to be able to have that, you know, that little piece of pie to be able to to sit there and get people on the straight and narrow, as you know. Well, it was cool when I said when I watched it because I watched it the first because uh, Terminal List where we were getting ready, we we're I think we we're working on the script still when when Extraction came out. But I watched it with a new eye, so not just sitting down to enjoy because that was like the first one that came out when I was fairly sure that we were going to be working on the Terminal List with Chris Pratt. And so I'd like pause it and take screenshots and send it to Chris, and I'm like, okay, look at what he's doing here. This is awesome. So you can't mess this up, you know that sort of a thing. That was like set a new you know a new bar for uh, for authenticity and like feeling that hey, this guy really knows what he's what he's doing on screen and it looked fantastic oh thanks yeah it was great it was a pretty fun and actually what's funny is chris romwell who's you know chris yeah. pratt's double there his stunt guy he uh he was on extraction as well so nice. we've been friends since then so it's been pretty cool that guy is amazing like you see a big dude like that and you kind of think okay he's gonna you know kind of lumber around a little bit good to run through walls and that sort of thing and then chris romwell i mean he just like can do these flips and jumps and spins and he's so agile it's incredible for a big dude yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely doesn't move like a big guy. No, I mean, he's, he's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. And he's such a good guy too. It's so, so fun to be around. Um, yeah. What a good dude that guy is. And, uh, this kind of, the path kind of started into Hollywood from shot show, right? Is that, uh, is that where you kind of made a couple, uh, got a couple introductions and shook some hands and said hi, and then they kind of eventually evolved into the film industry. Yeah. It's funny. You think that, yeah. Cause you know, with the shot show right here now, um, I mean, it was, yeah, a friend of mine, was out there with his wife and it was their birthday. And so they wanted my, my wife and I to go with him to dinner. And then one of his buddies shows up and he was actually working on a movie with who became my buddy, Patrick Newell. And uh, uh, he was doing the, the uh, security for Nicholas Cage. And so that uh, then he introduced me, he said, Hey, you need to meet Patrick and all. And I'm like, Hey, yeah, we're going to be at the cry party tomorrow night. <laughs> if you want to link up and, 
sure enough, he came out and we, we chatted for a good bit, exchanged info. And then I reached back out and we've been really good friends since. I think, I mean, I, I would like to talk about the cry party more, but I think we just leave it as, hey, if you don't know, <laughs> kind of like what happens at the cry party stays at the cry party type of a thing. I mean, and I think we hit it in the heyday too. I, I don't know when your first shot show was, but I went for the first time, it was 2003 or 2004. And then I tried to make them every time. And my, you know, I, the reason I wanted to go is I'm sure the same reasons that, that you wanted to go. You wanted to see what the private sector was doing that we could use and our guys could use downrange. And, um, and so I started going and it was small, 2003, 2004, if you were there, that room yeah. for the tactical stuff was pretty dang small. And then I think wow. it was the next year or the year after 2005, 2006, where it just like blew out and everything was, was tactical nylon and tactical, this tactical, <laughs> that, but, uh, but that last one, I think 2003, 2004, it was still hunting and fishing. And then it was a little tactical section for, for those types. And then it just took over the show. It seems. Yeah. I didn't go till I think around eight or nine, because that's when I transitioned up to CDD for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, but it was, it was, you know, just, such a busy show at that time. So I could imagine what it was like when it was smaller. I mean, it, it's a madhouse. It is a madhouse. In those early days, it's kind of like, you know, you've never seen anything like it before. I mean, I went to the Soldier of Fortune convention twice, once before the military and once uh, while I was in military, before, like right when I checked into my SEAL team, I think. Um, but anyway, drove out to Vegas for that. And that was kind of like, the show at the time. And then, yeah. uh, shot show, I took over very soon there thereafter. And, uh, it's so, it was so much fun. Like for me, just going out there, being a gear guy from uh, when I was a little kid and then just being able to, to, to see all that stuff, see where things are going, talk to people that would tell you about what, how they're evolving gear and that sort of thing. And then of course, getting to, to talk to them about, Hey, what we're doing downrange. And I mean, it was really cool. And I didn't think about it at the time as, Hey, when I get out, this will be these will be valuable relationships. You know, I didn't think of it in those terms. I just was thinking about the gear. And then of course it's fun and you're going out to dinners and parties and stuff. But, um, but it did, the relationships really did, um, help as I was transitioning because I knew that there were, uh, options, options and opportunities. I didn't take advantage of any of them, but there were options and opportunities out there, um, which was cool to know. I mean, it wasn't like you yeah. were like, Hey, worried. Hey, there's not going to be any, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's like, Hey, there's lots of, of options here. Um, but, uh, but let's go back earlier. When did you, uh, know you were going to join the military? What was that path into the military like for you? Ah, uh, for me, I was, I was that kid that knew well before high school. you know, I mean, I had all the army stuff growing up and, um, my parents, my never would have known my dad was in the air force until later on in life. And, and he was in from like 55 to 59, because of course that's, you know, what folks did back then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, never really knew it until, you know, I got into around high school. And uh, so, but I was that kid that wanted everything army, everything early up front. I mean, guns, this, whatever I could, you know, it took forever to finally convince my parents to let me get a BB gun when I was in third <laughs> grade, then uh, a 22 when I was in like uh what was it? Eighth grade. And then finally, by the time I was a sophomore, I had an AK 47. So it nice. kind of progressed pretty good. Yeah. What, what state were you in? I grew up in Arizona. Okay. So you're good. You're in the, and that was a good time. Like that was, uh, probably about the time everything was moving out from California to Arizona, as far as the gun world went. Cal I mean, yeah. people don't know that California in like the sixties was a, the place to be for, uh, for gun people. I mean, Southern California, there was a lot of manufacturers and a lot of people down there that Eventually, we move out of state. Most of them, anyway. Um, maybe there's like one holdout still, but not many. And uh, yeah. and then by the '80s, I think Arizona was pretty much early '90s for sure. Uh, I would say that Arizona was the place to be for that, uh, you know, that that gun culture for training and and everything else that was going on 
back then. Yeah, I mean, it was so cool because, you know, I never thought I'd ever be anywhere around Phoenix because um, I grew up in Glendale, but being around Glendale, um, you know, in the military. And then I was free fall instructor at Bragg and seven months later we moved to Yuma. So that was awesome because my son was just born. And then when you talk about the whole gun side of the world, then we started going out there, you know, Rob Latham, Mike Voigt, everybody yeah. in Arizona. So, I mean, I was getting to see my folks quite a bit, actually, once I got up to the unit, which was kind of nice. Uh, yeah, Arizona has some great ranges. I just made it out to Ben Avery again. I hadn't been there, geez, 20 plus years. I hadn't been at Ben Avery. Uh, and just wow. went out there for the SIG, uh, SIG Freedom Days that they did this last May. And it's changed a lot. Like it was when I was there in the mid, early, mid 90s, um, before I went into the military, I mean, it was just berms, you know, but yeah. they were great ranges. But it certainly wasn't what it is now. Now it's it's very it's very professional now. It's really nice. Uh, but back then it was kind of just like a bunch of berms, and it was huge. And you still have those kind of ranges everywhere. But it wasn't as uh, formal, I guess, is the best way to to put it. There yeah. weren't as many amenities. And there's something to that. It was kind of cool too. No, I agree. I mean, it was funny because you know, of course, we used to go shooting everywhere out in the desert. Um, and then, but first time being at Ben Avery, I think uh, first time going deer hunting. So I was probably. 17 ish. Nice. And then, uh, going back, you know, with, uh, doing some classes for SIG and also for, you know, Kyle with VTAC out there and taking the uh, cops out on the ranges there. It's, it's a great facility now. I mean, uh -huh. it's really, really nice. It really is. And, uh, I saw a picture of you and Kyle out in, were you guys in, uh, in, uh, in December, we out in Wyoming doing a, uh, was it an elk hunt you guys were on? Yeah. Finally, uh, actually got to fill a tag. It was been a few years with Kyle for everything. But, uh, yeah, we went out there to Wyoming and, you know, we each got a, got a nice little cow elk. So the, the freezer's full. So it was, it was fun. It was a good time. Nice. Yeah. That, that'll last you for a little bit. Like we, there was a lot of years where we just ate wild game here, uh, with our family. Um, and, uh, the freezers are still pretty full from a moose I got like a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love that picture. You guys, Kyle's been fantastic to, to me. I just love that guy. Uh, I always put uh, the VTAC sling in, uh, in my books and, and, uh, just, a just what a great guy. So it was cool to see you guys out there together. That was fun. Yeah, it was great. And you know, when you think about, I mean, the way I look at Kyle is he's more family than friend because I've known him ever since I got to the unit really in 97 when I finally crossed the hole. And uh, I've got one of his actually original slings that he made. Wow. It didn't have the uh, the quick release. It had the the top buckle, you know, that runs around the uh, the shoulder strap that runs around the frame. Um, that that piece of uh, nylon that secures your shoulder strap to the old Alice pack. And he had that buckle on it, but I still have that. I was like, yeah, you know, when Kyle gets his museum going, then, yep. then I've got a piece for it. <laughs> exactly. Got to hold on to, to all that stuff. I kept all my gear from Bud's. I got my Bud's knife right back there, like oh, dive wow. knife right there. Um, and I kept all my gear. And then right before we moved, um, I had to take all my stuff out of my cage. And the cages got bigger over the years. Um, <laughs> and my gear expanded over the years. And then I put it in, um, when I had to take it all out and bring it to our house, uh, I put it in a friend's garage and then <laughs> we moved and then he got divorced and it went with the wife and then it got it. Oh, wow. I'm so bummed. I kept, I have some of it, but I mean, it was a museum. I didn't get rid of 
anything. Cause I always like movies growing up. I always pictured yeah. the kid going into the attic and then you open up the box and you pull out the thing or whatever it is, you know? Um, <laughs> so I always pictured that for my kids, but I just held everything. Uh, and then as I went along, I was like, Oh, you know, it's going to be pretty interesting to not just remember or go through some pictures, but to be like, Oh, here's the bag from 2006. And this is what we were wearing, or here's Afghanistan 2003. And here's what we were wearing then. And actually be able to kind of lay it out and look at how it evolved rather than just try to remember or look through a few pictures and then remember where you were and kind of remember what was around the side that I can't really see in this picture, but to actually have them all, that would have been so cool. But now it's, oh, I don't really like talking about it. It's just too, it's too heartbreaking for a gear person, you know? Oh. No, I understand. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've got so much stuff still. It's funny. And when I had to turn in things at the unit, when I retired after 17 years, it, it was just a ton of shit. I, I mean, can it just only imagine. crazy. I can only imagine. I think some of the guys that uh, get almost well access to the most gear might be, and I'll, I'll just, I'll keep it vague. Our, the Air Force brethren that go between uh, yeah, Virginia and North Carolina, because they get yeah. to raid a like three different uh, uh, you know, gear lockers for their stuff. So they're, they're picking <laughs> and choosing some pretty good stuff. They're acquiring some good things uh, over the years if they're the Air Force guys that are woken, working with both of those units. But uh, uh, so you do, you go high school and you go right in to the military? How does yeah, that work? I did. Um, what it was is I, I went in, I was like, oh, okay, I want to do uh, force reconnaissance in the Marine Corps because my um, he's now my brother-in-law, um, been married to my sister for quite a few years, and they've got two great boys. But uh, him and I were friends growing up, and his dad was in the Marine Corps in Vietnam and force recon, and it was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then the Marine recruiter just uh, just wasn't telling me the truth on a lot mm. of things that I knew, but then just playing games with stuff, and I was like, no, I, this is what I want. And then I was like, all right, forget it. I'm going over to the Army, and I want to be airborne ranger. And nice. so, uh, got my, you know, ranger contract and went in, uh, yeah, July 89, July 89. And where was boot camp for you? Everything was at Fort Benning. So it was okay. kind of easy, you know, at that time, you know, to just do your, the 13 weeks, you know, one unit station training, basic and AIT. And then, uh, then went right to airborne school and then right to, to, to rip, you know, not the rasp that it is anymore. Okay. So you do that, uh, ranger indoctrination program. Is that what it is? Oh yeah. Yeah. Just three weeks of a suck fest, you know? So it was <laughs> nice. And then did you go right to ranger school from there? No, I went to first bat. Then I got there to December 89. And then that's when I jumped into Panama with my ninth jump. Wasn't so, it like, <laughs> how many days were you at that command before you jumped into Panama? It was like two weeks. Oh I mean, my it just, gosh. Yeah. That's insane. <sighs> it was pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, I didn't know anything, you know, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Uh, okay. I know where the assembly area is. That's about it. And the advice my squad leader gave me was, Hey, just do what your team leader does and you should be okay. Wow. Like, Roger that. <laughs> no kidding. That is crazy. Were you the, uh, the most junior person that was, uh, in that jumped in at the, at that time? Yeah, there was a couple of us in, um, C company that, uh, were in the same rip class that went and then some of the other guys didn't get to go. And then a couple guys, uh, littered throughout the the rest of the you know first bat and then some of my friends for that went to second and third they even they got to jump in as well so it was uh yeah we were all the the little dirt bags that came out with two scrolls versus oh, any ranger tab yet that's <laughs> insane so you're there for two weeks you're a brand new guy you know probably taking out the garbage and you know doing all that sort of new guy <laughs> stuff and then when did you get the alert for panama how long before you jumped was like did you know that this was a possibility um, it was actually like Sunday night. I was shining up my boots cause I was going to wear my uniform home, you know, do that first, 
first thing is that, you know, you're still a private, you still think you're cool if you go home. And uh, so I was shining my boots. We were actually watching the Simpsons Christmas special. And uh, then all of a sudden it, somebody comes through yelling through the, the barracks, you know, hey, Bravo notification, Bravo notification. And then it was like, boom, phones, everything off. And I was supposed to call my parents a little bit later that night to let them know I got the plane tickets, of course, because everything was paper. Uh, I was supposed to go home, matter of fact, on uh, the 19th of December and, you know, which we ended up by the time from Arizona and everything else, we were on the ground probably an hour in Panama when my parents were at the airport waiting for me to get off a plane. <laughs> no kidding. That is wild. And uh, so you're just, I mean, isn't it, it's a static line jump right out. I mean, what are you thinking when yeah. you're in that, in that stick? Uh, and are you oh, the first guys, is it one pass or had you multiple passes with your, with your plane? Um, we did, uh, I was on bird three and we were on one forty ones, and I think there was six or seven. I can't remember, uh, how far back they went, uh, right now, you know, offhand anymore, but, um, it was just, yeah, one pass Torrios to Kuman airfield. And, uh, I mean, it was just, yeah, I don't know. I was so scared that whole time leading up to it. Uh, that morning I knew I had to eat something. I was choking it down, you know, my whole fear getting, hung up in the harness somewhere, somebody come and shoot me. I mean, cause you saw the world war two movies and stuff exactly. like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so you jump, is it a night jump? I forget. Yeah. We jumped at zero one zero three. I think it was into uh, Panama then. Cause at zero one, the AC one thirty was lighting up targets. Uh, so, and it was, you know, like a freezing rain and everything in Savannah before we left. And then we, they opened the doors and it was almost like you could see the air come in the, the humid, hot air down there. And, uh, then, but once we got the green light, I mean, everybody's shoving each other to get out. I mean, the, the safest spot everybody believes, you know, was just getting out of the plane. Wow. And is it a ramp exit? What do you, what's the No, we were door? doing door doors on the 141. Yeah. Okay, so we were shotgunning both doors. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, um, so that's yeah, just pretty. the classic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> do, could you see anything? Do you have nods? You have, I mean, you don't have any nods, do you? Nope. Wow. Nope. Wow. Yeah. And so you can you what can you see in the air? Like how many other jumpers can you see? Is it totally pitch black or is there some loom where you can kind of see other other jumpers or what's that like? Uh, there was some loom, um, but to be honest with you, it was so quick because we did it, you know, coming in at 500 feet and uh, we had the old 500 feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. We had the dual point harnesses. So, you know, you had to make sure that you pulled them evenly or one side would get hung up on the rucksack when you're lowering it. So first thing I did when I went out, I didn't even check canopy. I was just going to lower my ruck, pulled both of them. Of course, one side went, the other didn't. So I pulled my ruck up to release the other side. Boom, I landed. And then, wow. so it was, uh, there was some, you know, uh, lights and everything around, still some uh, lights on the airfield and stuff like that. So it actually, it probably was pretty good loom too, because yeah. you could see everybody in the field and everybody running across the tarmac, all that stuff. So it was just a crazy mad few minutes. I mean, are you, since you're so new, I mean, you're not even like an A-dub gunner yet or anything like that, right? You're just, just a rifle, right? I actually had the M203 because <laughs> we were just carrying things and I, I never shot it before. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. And so you hit, do you hit the airfield or do you hit like some dirt or something like that? Or do you hit like, uh, landed in the grass. Luckily I okay. was so happy with that. And I remember my platoon sergeant was like saying, you guys won't remember the weight of your rucksack, the adrenaline and everything like that. And because he was an old grenade raider and, uh, uh -huh. I hit, I got up, tore my pants right in the crotch. The first thing, getting <laughs> on a knee with my ruck, start running, falling everywhere. And I was just cussing him the whole way saying, I, I 
I feel it. I mean, you, you know, you're so wrong. This is ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. My whole goal was just get to the assembly area and get around everybody. No kidding. And you guys, uh, do you guys meet resistance at the airfield there? How did that? Um, no, there was, uh, there was some sporadic stuff because what had happened is they all, you know, they knew we were coming and they pushed out of the barracks and they were back in a, I think the amphitheater or something like that. They were kind of staging for us to get on the ground, then kind of hit us. But I think when the AC-130 opened up, everybody just took off. So there, there wasn't much, much there. Um, but it was just, you know, being a private 19 years old, it was a pretty big experience. I mean, you're essentially, cause you know, boot camp, jump school, uh, rip that that's, you know, you're trying to just dropping down and doing pushups, getting yelled at, doing sit-ups. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're just like going where you're told, shining some boots, making a bed, you know? So essentially it's like, it's like day one, essentially for all practical purposes. That is yeah. wild. Did you jump with, um, uh, let's see, call, let's use a call sign goat. Uh, did he jump in with you? Um, no, I didn't know him back then, but, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm I know that, um, there was a few other folks yeah. that went to AWG and stuff like that that were there, and they were squad leaders when I first got there, and uh, you know then ran into them in AWG AWG later. So, um, wow. yeah, there was a lot of a lot of pretty cool you know things Gosh. when you look at what happened, but then also the people that you were around and seeing yeah. everybody later in life a little bit too. Yeah. Did you have any um, Vietnam veterans that, that jump with you that you remember? Are there still guys like no. The only Vietnam guy I knew, there could have been somebody in battalion, who knows. But, you know, at that time, you know, as yeah. two weeks in, you didn't walk down one one uh, side of the hall hallway or one end of the hallway, really, because that's where all the tabs back fours were. So I'd walk out the other door to go around to the channel instead of walk down there because you're just you're just getting your bag smoked along the way. You're just getting asked. You're just asking for it. Yeah. <laughs> Walking into the ambush. <laughs> yep. But now uh, the rip cadre that when I went through rip, one of the, the first sergeant there was an old mm. Vietnam guy. And man, when he chewed you out, you, it was like, you're, you're just, you felt like you were dying. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> cool, man. Uh, and how long were you guys on the ground then? What was your, uh, what was your mission? What did you guys do as uh, as part of the invasion? Um, our initial thing was to, you know, of course, secure the barracks and stuff like that of the, uh, the PDF uh, there at Torrios de Cuban, cause it was civilian and also military airport. Um, and then it was like three hours later, the 82nd, uh, was jumping in and it was kind of funny because, um, as we're going through clearing the objective and all that stuff and then getting on the other side. So, you know, post assault type thing, uh, here comes the 141s with the 82nd and there was, the airfield was kind of offset with the two runways for the civilian and military. Mm. And the birds were supposed to do that little dog leg and the 82nd, they dropped them straight over the the target area as well so you got these guys packing up their parachute when there's fire and everything going on from the ac-130 destroying buildings and all this stuff and it was just like you know what are these guys doing wow oh my god how long were you guys on the ground so we we're there about two weeks and okay. then we we headed out we uh didn't get to do much um did a lot of security around the airfield it seemed like because at that time uh you know just the way it went and you know, you never know anything as a private. So um, then from there we went, we did go out a couple times. We did uh, like a block position around um, New Year's. And then on Christmas day, we went into a Pecora village. I remember that went in there. We ended up, I think having a bunch of toys that were PDF hat or something and dropped them off there in the village. So that was pretty cool. And then um, 
got my, you know, bag smoked on a blocking position because, uh, you know, I was sitting down in the road versus standing up waiting for cars to come to stop them. So it was kind of funny. It was a good experience. <laughs> no way. When somebody walked by and saw you and was like, Hey, well, we had the, uh, like a four way or three way intersection. And so I was farther down to, on uh, one area just to, to stop the cars before they would let them come in so they could search them. And, uh, none of the cars were, no cars were coming to anything like that. So I was, I sat down because it was just hot and it's out there in the sun and all that. And then my, my platoon sergeant, you know, was like, Ray Palmer, get down here. And my buddy, another friend of mine came running up going, sorry, dude. And, uh, I ran down and so they're still searching cars and everything. And I'm sitting there with my 203 over my hands doing push-ups right there in the block <laughs> position. So, <laughs> Oh my gosh. That sounds so army. I love it. That's fantastic. Oh my gosh. And so when you get home then, are there guys that, that didn't get to go that were like, are you, can I believe this guy like right out of rip here, hasn't been to ranger school is jumping and I'm back here in admin or whatever else were there. Did you feel any of that stuff or was, uh, or did you not even pay attention to that sort of thing? Yeah, it was, there was some guys that were like, you know, Hey, this is BS. We didn't get to go. Or guys were in schools, you know, they were in ranger school, they were in NCO schools and stuff. So it was kind of funny because, uh, what we did before I went to ranger school, it was about, I didn't go till, um, October or yeah, November the of uh, 90, I went to ranger school, but what we would do when we were out patrolling in Savannah and stuff like that on the, uh, down at Fort Stewart in the swamps, we'd do the scroll to the road. Well, with the, the tab spec fours that didn't get to go and they'd say, Hey, scroll the road. And we'd say, you know, which one, which one? <laughs> and then we, you just get your bag smoked there out on the patrol and then, you know, continue. So we kind of gave it back to, to yeah. some of the guys, you know, we, you had to be a smart ass yeah, as a yeah. private. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh man. And then, uh, then you find you go to ranger school and how is that? How is that for you? Yeah, that was all right. I mean, like anything else, it, it's not, it's, it's a good school when you're done. It's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a good suck fest while you're yeah. there. And, uh, I recycled Florida phase and then ended up coming home on Christmas leave, which really I hated. And I was so mad at myself. And, uh, because that's when the, uh, desert storm was going on. So they had the rest of the class continued over Christmas. And I think the last time they did that was, I don't know how many years before that, that they kept over Christmas. Uh, so it was just, you know, just frustrating with that, but it was a good learning curve for me, just learning things and growing up too, as a, you know, a young kid at 1920. Yeah. Um, so it was cool. And then I graduated five February, 91, it was class uh, 391. And then my son graduated class 318. <laughs> no way. That's wild. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, was, was it right around that time? Let me a little after that time where the, uh, some guys didn't make it out of, uh, the Florida phase. It was like hypothermia or something. Yeah. There was a huge flood and everything. And, um, I know that was, I think a couple years later. Yeah. A couple years. Yeah. Later, Cause yeah. I was already in RRD at that time. I'm and I remember when that happened, that was a, that was pretty tragic for a lot of good, good people. Yeah. And then is there still a floor? There's not a Florida phase anymore, right? Didn't they get rid of that whole thing or? Uh, they got rid of desert. So they have, desert, okay. um, yeah, which is funny. Then we're in a desert war. Yeah. For, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like the, the first class in Dugway, Utah, not to get the live fire. Um, so it was, uh, but it was, wasn't bad. It was a good experience out there and we didn't mind it cause it was during the winter. So it was like, if it's below 20 degrees at night, you, you have to stay back and remab in the tents whether you have a coal stove. Ah. So 
we did not mind desert face. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice, I like it. And then, uh, then you go back to to Ranger Bat. Now you're with the with the tab through the school, and now now what do you do? Yeah, then I was uh, I was uh, an M60 gunner as well for a bit, you know. And again, you know the M the M60, not the 240 or anything. Yeah. And <laughs> you're old school. And they they were all dated in the 60s, so you know pretty cool, these, Some of these probably been been around the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was a uh, so uh, M60 gunner for a bit. Then I became a team leader for a little bit. And then at that time, um, a lot of guys were frustrated because of, during the Desert War, you know, they only took one company. They took B Company out of 175. Okay. And so a lot of guys were just frustrated, and they called Charlie Company Criminal Company at the time because everybody was getting in trouble mm -hmm. downtown in Savannah. But uh, so I went to RRD tryouts, and then uh, went to RRD October '91. So. So that was pretty cool because then I was getting Halo School. I got a few other nice schools, got the water infiltration course, you know, all the surface swimming, surface casting, everything. And um, then, of course, Static Line JM and then MFF JM. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, you become an instructor or something? Did you, did you go to Yuma as an instructor? Yeah. So then in um, January 95, I went uh, up to Fort Bragg as an instructor because before that, it was funny because I was I had uh, everything lined up. I was going to go be a squad leader over an A company in 375. And then uh, Sergeant Major Ponder had the uh, regiment then. And they were really big on the Abrams Charter, which is about, you know, the, the Rangers coming in, learning, uh, being the best of the best, and then going back to the Army to, uh, to help make the Army okay. better. As we know, that doesn't work so well in mm -hmm. today's world. Um, but with that... Uh, they found out I was doing that and they're like, no, you can't go. You've got too much time in the regiment. You need to leave. I'm like, are you kidding me? So had some friends up there at the, the schoolhouse and yeah, went up there to brag. And then seven months later, it's funny. They, you know, we, they're like, yeah, we're moving out West. And I was like, I'm in. <laughs> nice. Nice. And you, you were there before that, were there any uh, other spin ups or anything like that? Like what was, uh, or was mostly training continental United States based or what were you guys up to? Yeah, um, Haiti, you know, came about in what was it, uh, 94, I think April, whatever of 94. So we did, you know, the what up, uphold democracy. Mm. Uh, we went on the USS America for about uh, 10 days. So okay. got to experience, you know, there's my time in the Navy. I think you have more sea time <laughs> than I do. I think I have nine days. So I think you, you have me beat by a day. I have to go look at my last little uh, pay stub or whatever because it has it on there. I think, it, oh, I, think it's, I have nine days of sea time, I think, in my 20 years in the Navy. Uh, so, <laughs> so you beat me. Yeah. Yeah, I got to go into Haiti in uh, 2000. Was it four? Yeah, 2004 for the Aristide. Okay. Thing. Um, so that yeah. was pretty interesting. And I got to be attached to uh, Charlie Third of the Seventh um, as a liaison on the SEAL side. So I just got to see how kind of, I wouldn't say big army, but army special operations all comes together and mm -hmm. um, does the rock drill and all of these parts work together. And then we went in and it was really, it was interesting to see all that work together because it was so professional um, at that stage, having a couple of years into the GWAT at that point. And um, so it was cool to be a part of that and go to get to see, get to see a little bit of Haiti. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I know it was. Uh, we didn't get to actually see it. We saw the claw okay. because at that time, then Jimmy Carter came down and saved. That's the right. World. That's and right. That's <laughs> what happened. I was trying to remember how that one ended up. I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so we went, uh, got like two days at Gitmo, uh, and then uh, we just we headed back home. And then we went to the UK for uh, the Cambian Patrol. So What's that? Uh, it was. Uh, it's a long range uh, reconnaissance patrol that the the Brits use. Mm or set up and um, it's all through Wales and the Brecon beacons and all that. And uh, it international, you know, competition. Okay. 
So yeah, we went to that and it's like, you're either gold, silver or bronze medal. And to get a, a certificate of achievement is like a slap in the face it means you really, you really didn't do too well, <laughs> but we ended up getting a silver out of that. Okay. So give you coins and all that. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, it's a, just a, a suck fest for a few days. You know, you're just constantly moving in different tasks that you got to do. There's a live fire event and all this stuff. So it was pretty neat. And then just, uh, you know, going through Wales itself, staying in old, you know, a couple hundred year old farmhouses, sleeping up top in the rafters and stuff and the hay and oh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. cool experience. Yeah. And you're doing the orienteering part of that, the land nav part of that on uh, someone else's home turf. It seems like there's a home field advantage maybe for the guy. I mean, they do the SES selection in Brecon Beacons right there. So yeah. there may be some home field advantage, you know, right there. But uh, that's interesting. And then, so you do the free fall uh, instructor and then go and go to selection, huh? Yeah, I was, um, you know, just always wanted, I knew I had to try. And mm -hmm. that was my, my thing is I'm like, you know, I've got to do it. And uh, what was cool with the free fall, you know, committee was, of course, then you had all the different billets. So you had the Air Force guys, the Navy guys um, and the Marine Corps. So you you get to learn a lot more and get an understanding of what everybody's doing within the special operations side on both, you know, or throughout all the branches, really. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, I was like, all right, you know, I just I need to go to selection because I had a levy to Hawaii on my back because they were getting rid of all the infantry guys, the 11 Bravos out of SWIC because we were remote in Yuma. They were like, all right, you know, they're getting rid of all of us. So we're the, I think there were like five of us Rangers, five or six of us. And so I was like, I ain't going to Hawaii. I ain't going to go in the regular army. So I was like, yep, going to selection. Nice. <laughs> nice. So you've been in not, not quite 10 years, uh, then at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, I hit eight years. Yeah. Eight years when I was in the middle of uh selection or not selection, but in the middle of OTC. Okay. And, uh, and how was that for you? Good. Um, it was, it was fun. I mean, selection itself is such a different, you know, world and, uh, just cool the way it's run and how it is. And it's all on you, you know, don't be late light around a uniform. And, um, it was good. I mean, you, you got to really put the effort out and then, uh, you know, once you get there too, then going to OTC, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of learning and a lot of drinking from the fire hose as things yeah. progress. So it was good. And, you know, you get your council statements here and there and you just go deal with it and, and, uh, you know, improve it and, uh, fix your problems and move on. Yeah. We always good at the land nav part of things. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, actually, which was good because, you know, of course, back then, too, you know, we didn't have GPSs. So everything we did was, you know, you had to have be good with the map and the compass, mm. um, you know, and growing up there at first bat in in uh, Savannah down in Fort Stewart and stuff with the swamps, you did a lot of dead reckoning. And then mm. we ran started running our own little selection in R.D. up at Dahlonega, Georgia. So it was cool because then you're getting a little bit more, you know, really about the train association and everything like that and how you can use it. And, um, it was, it was cool. And then, you know, at selection, if you don't know anything about maps, you'll know something, <laughs> you'll know what you need to know by the time everything starts. Nice. Nice. And then you have a couple of years before September 11th happens. Do you, uh, you do any of the Bosnia stuff or do you, what do you do between uh, the time you get picked up and, uh, and then September 11th happens? Yeah, I did one of the uh, the reccees out in Bosnia and stuff. I mean, it was, you know, pretty cool learning learning experience, you know, with everything. And we did a lot of different um, training events all around. Um, but then, yeah, 9-11, you know, at that time I was a, I think I was a 2IC. Um, yeah, I was a 2IC when all that happened. So it was uh, pretty, pretty crazy, as we all know, with what went on with that piece and how it changed the world for 
for everyone. Um, but we were actually few of us, we were on a flight from RDU in, into Boston, Logan, when the uh, planes hit the towers. No so uh, when we landed, it was just insane. They're like martial law and all this, everybody evacuate the airport. I mean, it was the craziest time I've ever seen in an airport. So do you have any idea? It, what, is it when you land that, I mean, what, what do we have back then? There's no iPhones back then. So what do you, so you land, there's nothing to check right away. You know, there's no Instagram to uh, check real quick. Um, no, no Instagram. <laughs> we just had, everybody had their flip phone and stuff. But then as we get down, people started getting on and you hear people, what, what the towers fell? What this? Cause when we landed, both towers had already fallen at that time. And so everybody's going, what the heck's going on? What, what, what's happening? And the, the uh, pilot's like, Hey, please let all the military guys or first, before when we were landing, he's like, Hey, uh, all the military guys, you know, identify yourself. And we're like, yeah, yeah, right. whatever we thought, because there was a guy that used to be at our travel agency at, at the unit was working the gated RDU at the time. We thought, Oh, he's setting us up for something. And, um, so none of us raised our hand. And it's like, uh, he says it again when we land. And then he's like, please, everybody let clear the aisle, let the military, you know, get off. And so, we're all standing up then because everybody's hearing all this stuff going on, you know, talking to somebody on the other end of the phone and saying, you know, this would happen, this, this. And so we're all standing up. They open the door in the plane and uh, then he starts taxiing again and we're all standing up everything. We're like, what is going on? Because we're breaking every rule here. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, we get there and then uh, finally get to the gate. They, they let us out and he's the pilots shaking everybody saying, Hey, good luck. Good luck. And we're like, what's going on? And it took about an hour or so to really get out of there, get the rental car and get south because we were going down to um, to Plymouth, Mass to do a vehicle extrication course. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we finally stopped somewhere and saw on the TV what the heck really happened. And it was just, yeah, just insane. Jeez, did you go back? Did you recall and get back to, to brag? We were trying to uh, communicate back there. They're like, hey, just stay put right now. Just stay put where you guys are at. Everything because, you know, all the air was shut down. It's rental cars, this rental car, that, everything. And uh, so we were up there still for a couple of days. I mean, because nobody could even get into work. You know, I mean, Bragg was locked down. I mean, there were miles of cars trying to get on base, people running out of gas. I mean, it, just insane with what went on. And um, so then finally we did go go back after a few days. They're like, yeah, hey, come on back. And, um, you know, because we, nobody could do anything. Nobody knew nothing at the time, really. Yeah. Gosh. So you get back there and then, uh, you go right to work. Um, I'm guessing pretty soon thereafter and walk in what's the, what's happening. I mean, you're one of the two, obviously, you know, primary commands that's spinning right now. Um, what's going on? What do you remember about that? Yeah. So it was really weird because, you know, then, there, everybody starts planning contingency planning for everything under the sun. And then it comes down, you know, finally about, you know, hitting Omar's place and all that. And uh, then they chose uh, one of the different squadrons and plus it up with a troop from another squadron. And so uh, being in C squadron, we were kind of like, we we're just on Aztec. We we're on alert. So we were there for about six months, just on alert, doing our training, everything else, because then, you know, it started rotating with uh, red or I mean, green and blue over in Afghanistan and um, so we didn't get over the, to Afghanistan until like uh, April of of uh, o, o 02. Yeah, okay. April o 02. So we relieved, you know, uh, some of those guys mm -hmm. uh, that were out on Roberts Ridge and all that stuff. Yeah. Man. So you know, that's still pretty early. Probably back in the day, you're thinking you're going to miss it. 
You know, like a lot yeah. of us were. Uh, I mean, we, I was already deployed, so we thought we were going, and we ended up doing shipboardings in the Northern Arabian Gulf uh, with uh, <laughs> with Iraq embargo, that sort of a thing, oil embargo, while Team 3 got to go into Afghanistan. Um, but everybody really thought that they were going to miss it if they weren't there because our, you know, our flashpoints up until that point had been Desert One, Grenada, Panama, Mogadishu. Yeah. Uh, and if you weren't there, you know, you didn't get that call, you weren't going a year later to those places. Yep. Um, so obviously looking back in hindsight, that was not a, a real threat um, because you got there and, uh, and that now that's the early days, but back then it might've yeah. been like, Oh man, <laughs> finally we get here. You know, it's taking so long. Yeah. It's not even a year, not even a year after. Um, and what was that for? Uh, was that, uh, that first deployment like for you? Did, uh, I mean, you're, you're getting a little turnover from people that have been there. Now we have some people that have had some combat experience on the ground in that AO. Um, and, but now your, your boots are on the ground. What was that like? Yeah, it was pretty, um, pretty intense up front. Cause everybody's like plant, you know, we don't know what we're, we're stepping into in a lot of ways, even though we know we're going to be relieving um, the guys there on the ground and stuff. So a lot of, a lot of crosstalk with the, those guys getting some good AAR points, um, a lot of lessons learned and everything like that. So it's um, really good. I think the communication, I mean, the units always had pretty good communication, you know, but it was more kind of like training event here or there mm -hmm. and more of like, you know, hanging out, drinking beer with your buds type thing. And then that now that kind of, you know, brought out and started a lot more communication operational wise. Cause you know, we used to be like, Oh yeah, yeah, whatever. That's, that's blue. They're going to do their thing. We're going to do our thing. Um, so the deployment wasn't bad. I mean, it was good uh, learning curve with a lot of really, it was a good kit shakeout for us. Cause mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, we're going to run with this, run with that. And all of a sudden you get out in that, <laughs> in some of that high elevation, you're like, heck no, I can't <laughs> dumping do this, this, dumping yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it was, we did a few, uh, I think only like three missions, but no contacts really, um, things like that. We went out working. I did a patrol with the, uh, SBS guys, mm -hmm. um, for a bit out in Kajaki dam area. Um, so it was cool getting to work with now, you know, the five eyes, really everybody coming together, mm -hmm. uh, and really being, being one instead of just saying we're all kind of, yeah, we can all work together. Right. Um, so it was cool you know, for that, a lot of learning, because then we were setting ourselves up for, you know, the invasion of Iraq. Everybody kind of knew that, that, uh, con op was mm -hmm. there and, you know, it's like, okay, how can we see what's going on? How can we be a part of this and all that? And then luckily enough, we were able to be a part of that, which was great. But, uh, before that we got back and everybody's just doing some training stuff here and there. Uh, I got to go to, uh, Kenya with the SBS guys as oh, well nice. for, for like a month. So that was pretty cool. Um, there was three of us that went, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, just a lot, everybody focusing now on, Hey, how do we do this? How do we do this? Now we start getting, you know, more Intel on what really is going to happen for, you know, the 1003 con plan. And, you know, uh, everybody then starts planning, you know, all right, desert mobility. And we started doing our own little desert mobility, mm -hmm. driving out to Sicily and all this stuff, drop zone doing, you know, our own little living off the vehicles. Cause that was that was a huge piece that we did on that invasion. Nice World War II SAS stuff right there. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's good. That's yep. good stuff right there. I mean, so you're, are you on the initial invasion uh, of Iraq then? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So we crossed uh, the border. So then when all the cruise missiles hit, uh, you know, on the 19th of March there, uh, we were already, yeah, we were out towards H1 airfield, I think it was, because all of a sudden the S60s start shooting and everything. And it's like, you know, we're like, are they shooting at us? And it's like, <laughs> no, okay, we're, we're good. You know, it's uh, just, it was pretty, pretty crazy. And then just started our, 
our journey across the desert there for about a month. Jeez. And then what you set up, you, you, uh, you mean you're the first people in there to set up a, kind of a base of operations for your command and then start doing ops out of a certain area. Is that how that went down? Um, we actually drove, it was like, uh, we didn't stop and set up anything. We, we were a couple times. We stayed a few days, uh, in some areas out by, um, Haditha dam and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And the guys were calling in a lot of ordnance, um, do it. And our, uh, our fires guy was, was busy. Cause he, we, we dropped a ton of ordnance then. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were pretty much, you know, in our rod sites, things like that. And the, the vehicles for about three weeks before we got into any, any roof over our head and we had some sun showers and stuff. And then, um, we, then one of the other squadrons came in and started working. They started really, uh, we went into Tikrit and everything like that from the North. Um, but then they started, they came in into Tikrit and down into Baghdad and they started setting up everything down there in, uh, the green zone where we ended yeah. up being for quite a few years. Yeah. That place in the green zone was pretty, I mean, it was a pretty special place. I mean, it was, I got to work with the, uh, the agency there and be the only, uh, military guy attached to that particular agency unit there. Um, yep. and it, obviously ended up uh, informing a lot of the uh, the foundational elements of my novels and my, my character there because it was such a highlight of my <laughs> my time in uniform. But it was cool being right next to you guys and then working with that unit that had so many people who had been at your command. And uh, they really yeah. took me under their wing and really taught me so much. And it, I can never thank them enough. Um, it was just such a, a really cool time to be there, I think. Um, and then Man, do you just keep going? You're on the train now. I mean, is it just go, yeah. going back and forth? Uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraq, Afghanistan, or what are you what are you doing in there for these next next decade? Um, everything then for us, you know, started you know just flowing, really ro rotating in out of Baghdad because then mm -hmm. it's like, all right, green has Baghdad, you know, mm -hmm. blue has Afghanistan, and mm -hmm. so um, yeah, it was you know there for three months, home for six months, there for three months, home for six months, and so on, and. Uh, I was a team leader for the invasion. So then it, it was awesome, but then it kind of stinks because then your time is up after a bit. And then I ended up in S and T for a little bit, but while well, I was in S and T doing the uh, instruction there, um, which is cool because then of course now you're around all the other squadron guys too. Um, is, uh, you know, I would still go over and kind of, you know, how could I get overseas to do something to go out yeah. and, and do like a few weeks with somebody do some hits. So I would, I would go over there and, uh, a matter of fact, I went up and saw Kyle up in Mosul nice. one time, hung out with him for a bit, and then uh, went with a couple of the other squadrons on some some VI stuff when that started getting heavy. So did as much as I could to get back because I was divorced at the time. So it was like, all right, this is easy. I mean, granted, I had my son, and that's one thing, you know, still you want to, mm -hmm. you know, I want to be around and be a part of his life. And luckily I was able to, but, you know, he he knew what was going on. He, he understood. And, you know, just talking about that is – with my son as he was when I deployed first time, you know, to Afghanistan in 02, what he was, uh, he was six. He turned seven while I was deployed mm -hmm. and well, he's 27 and he's been, uh, pretty much all the spots I have. And then some so different crazy. ones. That's so wild. Oh man. I mean, there's, there's a few guys that have, uh, you know, it's multi-generational at some of these, uh, you know, top tier units now. It's, it's incredible how long we've been at it. Cause in, in, in some ways it feels like it was yesterday. And then when you look back or look at pictures and then look at yourself in the mirror, kind of like, wait a second, is it, I kind of yeah. still feel the same, but, uh, I know a lot of time has passed. Um, so it's interesting. So in some ways it feels like yesterday in other ways it does, uh, 
it does not. Um, man, that's wild. So you're going, you're, 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 you're jumping in on things where you can. And, uh, did you stay a uh, quote unquote gun guy through all this time? And, uh, you're shooting on your own or you just having, uh, doing the regular military stuff that you have so much access to at that command or what are you, what are you doing training wise for, uh, for you? Um, you know, of course, like anything else, we had, you know, exceptional ranges and everything else. And it, just the, the fact that the close proximity, you know, it's easy. Yeah, let's go down and shoot. So we did a lot of stuff, still did stuff with like, you know, Rob Latham, Mike Foyt, Jerry Barnhart, you know, Jerry Micklick, things like that. So we're still trying to still learn because there's a lot mm -hmm. of things that we could do, especially, you know, the competition guys, they're very efficient and, you know, cut down all those little movements and break it down and everything else. So um, still doing a lot of that training. But then when I was in S and T, what was great was I was a CQB instructor as well as shooting instructor. So, uh, got to do a lot, a lot, you know, staying up on the range. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping those skills sharp. I like it. I like it. Uh, and how long did you do that for? Um, I was in S and T for almost two years and then I went back to squander as the ops arm major and then, uh, deployed there. Oh, six, oh, seven. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I had a good time actually as ops arm major. It's not a, you know, it's a thankless job, but I had a, uh, a CSM that didn't mind me going out on target when we deployed. So, good. uh, got to go, <laughs> go run out quite a bit. Good. Cause it can work uh, one of two ways, right? You can be like, no, this is your job. You're locked down in front of that computer and you're doing the, the PowerPoints and the, this and the, that and coordinating the air and all the rest of that. Or you can get out and with, get out with the boys. So that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is <laughs> and awesome. And then I'd bring him out too every now and then it's like, Hey, you need to come out, you know? And that way he gets refreshed a little bit. So it's, it's good. I mean, we all, we're all there for a lot of reasons, you know, and we all, you know, want to, you know, serve and do what we can. And we still all want to always want to be in the fight. And sometimes yeah. you, you know, your, your fight is at the computer, but if you can get back there with the boys, it's reconnecting. Yeah. And that person at the computer, I mean, you said it's a thankless task, but, um, man, how important that is. I have a good guy in that slot, man. Uh, and then, uh, then what, what do you do from there? How long do you stay at the command? Um, uh, I was there total 17 years, but then Gosh. that, uh, in Oh <laughs> seven, um, I was actually transitioning to get, uh, the recce troop to get C3 to be the troops mm -hmm. are major. But then I had to step out and go after custody of my son. Uh, uh, so I did win that. And my, my wife that I've been with now, um, 16 years, but she was, we were just dating and, um, she helped me traumatic, uh, I mean, hugely with, with that. And, uh, so I went, that's why I went to CDD up there in like 07, 08, 09. And then, then I went back to squadron for a year in 2010, 2011, just to, to be an ops arm major in another squadron. So, okay. um, then yeah, I went back to CDD and then, uh, ended up, you know, retiring in November, 2014. Wow. What did you, what, man, that's a long time to be at that command. That is amazing. Um, <laughs> what's, uh, what were some of your major like, like lessons along the way that you, uh, that you've taken with you and, you know, applied to either personal life or professional on the, on the way out? Like, what do you, when you look back on, on those 17 years and all the years before, um, what are some of the things that you, uh, the most valuable things that you, uh, you kind of fall back on or think about, um, as being valuable in this, this stage of life? Um, I look at a lot of things really about how you treat people. Um, because, you know, yeah, you know, we're, we're operators. Everybody's just, you know, full of piss and vinegar and everybody running around thinking they're the best. And you have to feel invincible at that time, you know, especially with everything going on in real world. But, you know, we 
can't do our job if we don't have the right support guys there to do everything else to allow us, you know, to go forward, to do what we need to. So I think it's about really how you treat people with all that, because, um, you know, there's a lot of good guys that are just in the shadows of support guys, a lot of great guys. And, you know, they're, they're doing their job to make us, you know, successful in ours. And I mean, and they're, they're truly just, there's the, the gray man you could say. And, um, so I think that's, that's a huge thing. And then just having humility because, you know, you don't always do everything right. Understand that you can take criticism and also sometimes it's good to, to ask, Hey, how am I doing? You know, what do I need to fix? Where am I at to, you know, your leaders? And it doesn't matter where you're at, even as an ops star major, I'd do that because it, to me, if I can't fix it, if I don't know it's broke, but maybe I get another perspective on how to do something as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so much time. I mean, what, so total time in the military was how, how long? 25 years. 25 years. Uh, yeah. So uh, are there any times you look back on whether it was training or, or real world where you're like, I cannot believe we survived that. Like when you look back, are there certain, <laughs> a couple of things that pop out to you is like, whew, uh, when you think back on certain training evolutions or real world operations? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, like anything, a couple of times we're looking at things after like, uh, some of our vehicles during the, uh, the initial invasion. And it's like, uh, you know, you were, no, you were kneeling down here during a gunfight and everything like that. And then you look on the vehicle and there's like a, a bullet stuck in it right, right there. And it's like, who knows, was that right when I was there? Was it not? I mean, if I would have moved, if I, you know, so the shoulda, woulda, coulda, um, you, you know, it's there, you just can't focus on it. And so, I mean, there were a few times that we laughed at each other, like, you know, do you believe this crap, you know, in the middle of things, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we had a huge contact actually one time during the invasion, it was two April. Um, we lost, uh, Andy Fernandez was, uh, was killed during that. And, um, we were sitting there, my vehicle was right next to, uh, basically the, uh, resupply truck, the, uh, the mechanics were driving and, um, we're sitting there and, you know, contact breaks out everywhere and the, the mechanics are sitting there and I look at him, I said, this wasn't in your recruiting film, was it? And uh, he's like, nope. And and then the guy that was uh, with us from the agency was up there hiding behind the uh, all the drums of fuel, the fifty five gallon drums and everything like that. Like, really, dude, you're gonna hide behind that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so crazy. I took. I remember, yeah, one. I mean, it was uh, Najaf, so summer of oh four, and uh, we're going in with Big Army to retake that that city. And I just show up and tell that battalion commander from, uh, was it two seven Cav? Um, uh, Hey, we're here. Here's our capabilities. How can we help? And it was just a sniper team. And, uh, and we push forward at every day and push the uh, Jay Shalmati militia back a few blocks and then bring up Bradley's and Abrams. And so for me, I was enlisted first and then I became an officer, but I'm like maneuvering these Abrams and Bradley's, you know, it's kind of, it was crazy. And then you're calling an air and the whole thing. It was amazing. Um, but we jumped over this wall cause it was the first time we'd been in that kind of combat where it was like the movies we saw from world war two, like daylight yeah. and just confusion and everybody's shooting everywhere. And there's tanks that don't look that different <laughs> from the ones that were in world war two. I mean, much more advanced, but you know, it's still a tank. Um, and, uh, and we jump over this wall and we're all together and we're like, there's like four of us. And we're like, oh, can you believe this? This is insane. And then we jump over this wall and not a second, like two, three, four, five seconds after the last guy hits the ground, a mortar lands exactly where we were standing, John, not seconds before. Like, wow. And so you think like, what if we had somehow during the day, something had happened where someone had paused for or whatever that had caused us just a few second delay to be standing there. I mean, it's just, just crazy. Um, I think I started thinking about fate 
during that time. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, you can't beat you in Ramadi too. Like when everything can be a IED, Ramadi 0506, <laughs> it's like you can either spend your time worrying about every little thing or you can do your job. And, uh, you know, I think it makes you more effective as a leader not to be as so worried about every little thing. You got to do your do your job, mitigate everything, obviously, as much as you can. But you got to get out there and, and crush it, too. So, yeah, crazy, crazy times. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's true. That's why I say that shoulda, coulda, woulda, because, you know, if you sit there and try to, you know, constantly go through your mind like, well, if 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 yeah. that happened, I would. Well, I mean, we can if things to death, but you just got to move on and do your job. Yeah. Yeah, you got to do it the best you can for the guys. And, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting environment, that's for sure. Um, so as you're getting close to your 25-year mark, are you, uh, are you thinking about what you're going to do next? Or what time during that process or those last few years do you start contemplating life after the military? You know, as we we're coming up on it, we we're we we're thinking, you know, hey, what are we going to do? What's going on? Um, you know, just the, the normal kind of questions on what's going to happen. And when I actually submitted my retirement paperwork, uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. And a good friend of mine that was uh, killed after he got out and he went to work with a, one of the agencies, uh, Tyson Nick, um, he had told me, he said, dude, don't worry, because he was a year uh, ahead of me. He's like, believe me, it will happen. It will all come together and, and stuff. And uh, sure enough, it it did, you know, and uh, I was working up there in CDDR with uh, less than lethal stuff and everything else. And I, I went to work with a Norwegian company, uh, Proxynamics, working on drone stuff. Oh, nice. So it was, uh, never thought I would work with drones, but at the time it was, uh, the guys had a requirement overseas and I started doing research, trying to get things in. And um, one thing led to the next and yeah, went into the, the whole drone world. No kidding. Do that from the from continental United States though, even though it's a Norwegian company, you're working back here. What's What, what were you doing? Yeah, we were, um, what it was was they, they were wanting to get into the U.S. market, everything else, do everything. Um, and I developed a friendship with one of the guys because uh, I was out in Maimana, uh, the Norwegian PRT, back in 2010, 2011. And just so happens we had, you know, we know somehow we crossed paths in there when we were both deployed. But um, just developed a good friendship over time. And then they they offered me a, a piece because they wanted to get a U.S. side. So it was me and uh, two other guys that started the US side and then then just me and another guy that was my boss for for a few years and then um but you know going everywhere really I mean everything five eyes at that time so I got to finally get to Australia I've never been to Australia every time I was going to go in the unit something happened and we couldn't <laughs> I love Australia how long were you there um I was there about a month it was cool it was uh great because my wife was with me and you know weren't in the military. So it's not like I was working every, every weekend type thing. So it was, it was cool. We had a really good time get, going over there and got to see a little bit of it. And uh, yeah, not bad, but I've traveled all over the place with uh, that drone and um, basically went to Norway a lot because of just, you know, the facility and everything else that was yeah. being where everything was made. And then the, the, the guys that started the company and uh, you know, learning from the best pilots that I could. No way, man. And, and uh, how long do you, do you do that? Um, I did that up until really, uh, this October, um, hmm. I was, we got bought by Fleer oh, wow. and then, uh, Fleer bought, got bought by Teledyne. Um, but then they decided to, uh, kind of funny cause they decided to terminate me because they said, well, you know, Fleer can, 
you prove Fleer can do without you because you, you did six months this last year on a movie and six months the year before, uh, even though I got permission from them to do it. And so they they kind of like, well, yeah, sorry, we're terminating your position. And uh, so now I'm just doing consulting. No kidding. Uh, consulting just in the, in film and television or consulting around uh, across industry? Uh, across industry. And right now working with a, a good company out of California, uh, drone system. Oh, nice. And then, um, you know, then just kind of doing what I can along the lines of been doing stuff with SIG. So, you know, uh, doing instruction with them still. Uh, Kyle's backed off on VTAC. So, um, you know, just because just where it's at and what's going on and they're doing great with all their their stuff but you know i've been doing vtac stuff since 2008 with kyle nice so um it's been great and then um yeah then just waiting to get back into some of the movies with things you know how that goes and who knows maybe there's a second season of you know yeah some something out there yeah i know by the time this drops maybe they'll have announced something we'll see we shall see oh man did you, you enjoy that so how did that come about so you're working for the drone um uh company you're doing all that sort of thing you've met somebody at at shot uh that maybe that that opens a door to that that world for you um how did the first movie come about or the first was it a movie the first one or was it uh was it something else yeah the first thing i did was actually a movie called how it ends that was on netflix and um the movie really stunk, but it, it it was good learning curve for me because I got to play at both parts by means of helping with the equipment and everything like that and getting them uniforms. And they, you know, they tried to do the best they could with what they they had at the yeah. time of the budget. And then uh, then I was out actually on a bridge for like a, a week in, excuse me, in Winnipeg um, and basically just helping with some some tactical stuff there. And then the real big one was you know, going out for a month at, for, in Thailand with extraction. So, cool. um, so that was the first go. And then, um, then just my buddy, Patrick, you know, Patrick Newell there, the producer, he, you know, was able to get me involved in the gray man. So then I did the gray man. And then, um, then we just, of course, finished last, yeah, been all last April finished um you know extraction too but uh really patrick is the one that brought me in so it's been great and and he's been a, a good friend and also tries to help you know mentor me in in the levels that he can but he's such a, a great guy it's just you know i was lucky to yeah. to basically befriend him awesome well you yeah you crushed it in the gray man and crushed it in extraction and the, the trailer or teaser i guess it's a teaser uh it's like a half behind the scene thing half teaser mm -hmm. i guess for for extraction too um looks Great. I mean, oh man, I'm excited for, what does that one come out? I forget when that one comes out. Um, Hopefully, hopefully around April since okay. we were finished, you know, last April and then, you know, the deal then doing some of the reshoots mm -hmm. and stuff. So um, it's been great too with the movie side, because not only do I get to help out with the, and actually take these actors and actresses shooting, but then also, you know, get to do a little bit of stunt stuff. So that's oh, did fun. you nice? What did they let you do? Because i i got the I got to get shot in uh, the terminal <laughs> list, uh, but they wouldn't let me do the car crash. So Chris takes my oh yeah, I call it my what well, is mine now? I have I got it. I took I took the I get the Land Cruiser, um, and it, I have one of my own. Well. A couple, but anyway, uh, so Chris is, <laughs> crashes the Land Cruiser, which I already mm -hmm. saw as my Land Cruiser, and smashes it into me, and then we have the gunfight. Um, but they wouldn't let me do the crash. And yeah. uh, so they put Mick Rogers in there, who uh, is like legendary Hollywood stuntman who doubled Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon in the jump when he's oh, wow. handcuffed to the businessman on the on the roof, you know, and then he jumps off with him in Lethal Weapon, which is one of my favorite movies. It was just so impactful growing up uh, in the 80s. But uh, so it was awesome to meet him. But they but he did the the crash. And after okay. I saw it, cause I was like, Oh, it is, it's just a little fender bender. You know, I'm like, why can't I do that? 
then I saw it and I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad that they didn't let me do that because I was like, oh, it was a hard hit. It was a legit yeah. hard hit. Uh, but it was really cool. Like, you know, you seeing behind, uh, and I think later today, I'll little post a little behind the scenes. I took a little, little video while I was in the car, but, uh, they take those like little metal, it's also like a mortar tube, like straws yeah. and they're like lined up on the dash. Cause, uh, and then Chris is shooting in and I'm shooting out and there's somebody with an iPad or something like that, with Bluetooth <laughs> that's over on the side, like hitting that button and shooting little ball bearings through the window to make it look like there's bullets coming in or out. And, uh, yeah. that was pretty cool. I had no idea until I got in the car and saw that whole dash rigged up with all those little mortar tubes right there. And it looks like an IED. I mean, you look at it and it's kind of this <laughs> yeah. wires and it looks like, it looks like a very poorly constructed IED. Um, but it's, but it was, that was pretty cool. But what, uh, what stunt did you, uh, what stunts did you do? Um, on the, uh, on the, the gray man, well, an extraction, I got to play in the, uh, helicopter a little bit. I didn't get to jump out on the cars cause they wanted, I was running the gun, uh, a little bit, but just because of the, you know, the PKM with the non-disintegrating belt and they didn't want it flying into the tail rotor. So, um, I was doing that as well as a buddy of mine who was the armor was also, we'd go back and forth and then, um, played, uh, just one of the mercenaries coming to, to rescue, um, you know, rake when he comes to the bridge, but it's funny how much stuff, as you know, that doesn't make the movie oh, yeah. um, with everything. And then on um, the gray man, I got to, I was playing a mercenary, but then also uh, got to do a ratchet. So I got to get smacked into a wall uh, when the command center blew up. So it, so, you know, the, all the special effects takes over, but you know, it was cool to be able to actually do something like that. And then, then I got to do a little bit more with some, uh, some moving vehicles, um, out in extraction too, when that comes out, it'll be nice. easier to talk about. <laughs> nice. Nice. I can't wait. That's awesome. Uh, what were your takeaway from the first, like your first movie set or second movie set? Um, cause I remember when I walked on set for the first time, it was, uh, the cave complex scene in the beginning of the terminal list. And we flooded a lot at Paramount studios and they built this huge cave complex, which was really, really cool. But, uh, I mean, my, one of my first takeaways was just how, how similar it is to a military operation because we have a mobility guy who is moving the vehicle responsible mm -hmm. for all that sort of a thing. You have an armorer just like we do in the, in the SEAL teams or in, in the military. Um, you had the medical people on standby. You had craft food services, you know, you got to feed the <laughs> troops. Um, you have the director who's like a commanding officer right there. And mm -hmm. then you have the, the number one on the call sheet, Chris Pratt, who is like the troop commander or something like that. Um, and those guys, just like in the military, that relationship and how you see them working together, uh, it, it filters down to, to everyone. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you can like make and make or break a team, um, you know, by how that relationship goes up there. And man, Chris Pratt and, and Antoine were just, uh, Antoine Fuqua, were just so incredible and inspiring and positive. And I had so many people come up to me on set who didn't have to, they told me they'd been on hundreds of sets and they'd never felt the way they were feeling on this one. It was just uh, such a positive experience. Um, and it, it was amazing, but a lot of similarities I noticed to, uh, yeah. to the military world. No, I agree. I mean, I think that's the best way to say it because like my buddy Patrick, you know, being the producer, I, he's that platoon sergeant or first sergeant, you know, the beans and bullets. And, you know, I mean, there, his job is never done. I mean, he's, a, he's constantly rotating, you know, checking the lines, you could say. Um, but yeah, it is, it is like a military operation, like you said, with everybody that there is and everybody's got their part. And then when you come down to those, you know, um, when a stunt's going to happen and everything like that, how many times that thing's rehearsed, but how much people actually talk about exactly what's going to happen that, you know, rock drill type thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 
you know, it's just so neat to see. I mean, just there's so much work that goes into it that people just don't understand. And it, it's own it's its own little village, you know, the, the whole movie set. So it's pretty cool. And what the, the guys can build to within a day. Yeah. They're like CBs. <laughs> it's like CBs show up and all of yep. a sudden they build this whole, you know, uh, place to live and, you know, tents and generators and airfields. And it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I forgot the explosives guy, demolition guy, yeah. same thing, yeah. demolition guy on set, just like you have uh, a breacher in a, in a platoon or something like that. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a really interesting uh, takeaway just how similar it is to a, uh, to a military operation um yeah and, and it was fun to fun to see all that i mean it was just such such a, a, a great experience but that was my only one you know that was my only one <laughs> th thus far anyway so hopefully there'll be some more i mean who knows but yeah, uh so you, never, you never know <laughs> but uh and how is it working with uh with uh with chris hemsworth and and that team like um how, did you learn a lot about camera angles and that's because you have for people that are listening there's like so here's the armorer there's a stunt coordinator there's a technical advisor um there are all these people that are kind of working together uh when you have a, a stunt or a sequence that has firearms or explosions and, and all that stuff so it's it's uh really interesting to see all those people come together to coordinate something like that um but uh are you learning all about different camera angles and what an actor needs to do at a certain because you can do something right as we know and then yep. an angle catches it that make somebody be able to pause it and then put it on social media and say, look at these idiots. Um, yeah. So you have to like, <laughs> there's so much to it. And then even if you do get the shot that you want, uh, maybe you got a couple that you didn't really want, but eight months later, guess who might not be in that editing room? Someone with a military background, someone with a law enforcement yeah. background, someone that's competent with firearms and tactics. Um, and all of a sudden this thing makes it in and you're like, ah, oh, scope covers or whatever it is. Like I see yep. now how easy it is <laughs> to have those, even with all these professional top tier people there, uh, the best in their perspective fields and their respective fields, um, how things can still slip through the cracks. So now I have oh, a yeah. lot more appreciation uh, and I'm not more understanding when I see something now. I was always understanding before, but now I just know how easy it is to screw something up or to have it look like it's screwed <laughs> up uh, that I am. Uh, I, I totally get it. And uh, uh, much more understanding now, even more so than I was before. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy because you look at it and you, um, you're like, okay, yeah, this is what you need to do this, this, and this. But until you see it actually on camera, then it's, it's like, oh, maybe we need to do this, maybe mm -hmm. need to do that. So for me, it was all about listening to what, you know, uh, the Russo brothers wanted. And then what's uh, Extraction 2, Sam Hargrave, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, all right, hey, what's your vision? What what do you want to see? How much time do you want to, you know, spend on this scene? Um, and then, of course, you know, what where's the camera going to be, you know, for the each take and everything. And because then it's like, OK, based off that, I can we can do, you know, this maybe you know, try this technique or do this or have, hold the gun here or there. I remember like with the gray man, a uh, couple scenes, like with Ryan moving with the pistol and everything like that, it was blocking his face and he wasn't, didn't say anything about it, but I came back and I was like, Hey, cause I'm sitting there looking at the monitor the whole time. We're really with the directors. And it's like, you know, Hey, maybe, let's just bring it down a little bit. People will still see where it's at, but that way you're not blocking your face and doing everything. Um, and it's, you know, the, the more you can, go forward with, with things, not saying, Hey, this is what has to happen, but here's how we could do this. And these are the reasons why in the real world. And what do you want to see and, and work with them versus, you know, coming in like a, like a true military first sergeant in a regular army and saying, no, this, 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 it's like, no, there's give and take. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's fun. And I was just actually emailing with uh, Sam Hargrave yesterday, uh, 
because of the fact that they were doing shot count on some of the stuff, some of the editing, wanted to make sure the magazine count, everything like that, nice. you know, with where the, how many mags does, or how many rounds is this gun hold and this gun and everything else. And just even though you're doing it, you know, and it's it's all happened in the notes. But now, again, that editing, like you said, when it yeah. comes time to it. Oh, yeah. Detective Jared Shaw and he plays Boozer in the show, his technical advisor, uh, a producer. He gave the book to Chris Pratt. The reason the whole thing, uh, you know, came to came to be. We were so lucky that we had him in the editing room the whole time. Oh, so yeah. he was right there doing that sort of thing, like counting those rounds. Um, because, I mean, you, that's why a lot of people say, oh, look, these bullet, these guns in Hollywood, they never run out of uh, bullets. Who is the technical <laughs> advisor? And it's like. Well, uh, maybe that part got cut out. The mag change gets cut out for whatever yeah. reason. And now it looks like that this gun never ran out of bullets. Like that's that sort of thing. I mean, there's so many, so much to it. And the person that's editing all the time doesn't even know to even look for that. It's just that's not something that, that, that registers. Um, so it's, uh, so it's such, a, such a value add to have somebody in that editing room that's doing, like a technical advisor in that yeah. editing room to be looking at those things, I think is such a, such a huge value add. Um, what sort of stunts from uh, Gray Man and, uh, and Extraction stand out to you as like, was anything we ever set ever were like, this is dicey. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, I mean, you have helicopters, you have cars, you have explosions, you have all these things. And, um, you know, I was really impressed with the armorer and what I saw and how he handled um, what he had going on. Um, and, uh, and obviously, it's my only experience, but he'd stand there next to Chris. Chris is talking to the director or the makeup people mm -hmm. or whatever, and standing right there. And only after all that other, all those other people that need, uh, an actor's uh, attention right there before they start shooting and shooting by camera shooting. Um, only after all those things were done, then the last thing was that armor saying, Hey, here you go. Hey, it's clear and safe. Or here, here's the, here's the mag. This is the kind of rounds that were, that are in there. And Chris sees it and knows, okay, I can only shoot, uh, you know, uh, at somebody from whatever distance it is because there's different yep. kinds of, uh, of blanks and that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it's eye contact. It's like, you're not paying attention to anything else. It's like, look, boom, boom. And, and, uh, and then you go. Um, so I thought that was incredibly professional, um, the way I saw that work, but, um, yeah. anything, anything stand out to you on set as like dicey with helicopters flying around and people jumping off buildings and things blowing up. <laughs> I mean, it's just cool to see, you know, really what the stunt coordinators do. And, and, uh, Danny, Herna Danny Hernandez was, uh, uh, the fight coordinator, stunt coordinator, and James Young was, uh, one of the stunt coordinators, but actually he was a second unit director for, uh, the gray man. Mm. And, you know, these guys grew up doing a lot of the Marvel stuff and everything, but to see Danny when they're like, you know, fight scene with Ryan um, and then, you know, with uh, Chris coming in and they're like going, okay, well, how are we going to do this? What's going on? Or, Hey, let's change it up this and, and see his mind ticking and how quick he could come up with something on the fly to say, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And it's like, it was pretty, pretty cool to watch just how fast those guys can turn something mm -hmm. out, you know, and then, you know, the deal with a, you know, the stunt guys really make the movie before the movie's made because of the whole previs and everything with the action sequences and everything else. But, you know, that that's that guide that gets you to then on set. Things are always going to change just like an operation. Once exactly. You get the target. Yep. 
things change. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought about that quite a bit because I get to be involved with uh, writing the scripts and all that stuff. And what looks great, just like a plan, what looks great here on the table in the nice air conditioned building um, might change a little bit once you hit the ground out there and you look around and you're like, oh, building, hill, ditch, <laughs> like these things change, they change it up. And same thing with the script. You get out there and we're looking at it and then we're looking at the set and realizing that what we're saying here or what we had planned on uh, the actors doing here, uh, it's not going to work out now because of how now yeah. that now we have boots on the ground and now we're looking at it. And so we're going to change this line here or that line there. We're going to move a different way. Um, but so it was really dynamic, which I liked. Yeah. Um, Cause you got to adapt just like uh, in the military and in life in general. Um, oh, so yeah. <laughs> and you're making changes to that script up until you know, you know, the last day right there on the, the day of, which is uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how many times things change in like uh you know, uh, it's funny because uh, Joe Ruth- Russo would come up to me even on because uh, he was actually out there a good bit for extraction, too. And uh, but he'd be like, all right, Chili, what would we say here? What we do? And, you know, it's like, OK, well, here's some things, you know, you could say or this or based off this and this. And it's great because, again, you know, you got to earn that trust initially to get it. And once you get the trust from those folks, then, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're a team. And then from there, your input at, is actually valid. And, uh, you know, some of the stuff with the the stunts going on though, which just crazy. I mean, the vehicle <laughs> stuff on the gray man, and then some of the helo flying on uh, extraction two that you'll see with uh, Fred North was a pilot and he he's extraordinary wow. up there. I mean, he is zipping around that thing. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like going back into one sixtieth days, you know, and those guys flying you under nods overseas and yeah. you're just like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, too cool. Too cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting, but it was, it was great. We had the team out there on the ground. We had great, um, Ray Mendoza, buddy of mine from the SEAL teams, uh, with War Office Productions. He was doing the tactical advising, but we also had, had Jared Shaw there every day. And we had Max Adams, who's a writer and a producer on it. Former army ranger, um, wrote episode six, um, amazing guy. He was there. So those three guys on set every single day being so invested in it, I think it would be, would have been a different show without those guys there, but it's that trust, just like anything in life. Yep. Military, whatever else, it's that trust that you uh, that you build and continue to build um, yeah, that that really made it a, a special team. So um, hopefully we can get the band back together. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I'll give you kudos because I mean, my wife and I both enjoyed watching Terminalist. Yeah. I mean, it was and for her to actually say that, yeah, this is actually pretty good because hey. you know she likes action, but you know she knows that I actually you know sit there and nitpick everything and well yeah. that that gun this and that and it was like wow this is this is actually fun to. To, to actually watch and uh yeah i mean i talked to jared you connected me with jared so you know hopefully one day we can connect and actually uh you know work together on a, be awesome. on a project yes that would be awesome <laughs> that'd be awesome and uh what's in the what's short term for you do you have are you still are you go to sig every now and again and still teaching out there or what are you what are you juggling right now um i was there in december and then gonna you know with everything with shot show be out there for sig at the range days oh nice i'm uh, gonna miss it i'm gonna miss it this year <laughs> there's just too much writing to do so uh, i'm gonna miss it i'm bummed i'm gonna miss you there dang it i'm gonna try to really try to make it next year 2024 i'm gonna try to make it to sig go. range days um <laughs> but uh but sorry so you're gonna, you're gonna go out there and do that yeah and then just uh helping with uh the consulting piece with uh some of the other uas stuff and mm-hmm. then uh also just you know keeping my my uh finger on the pulse with everything going on with the movie stuff. A lot of, a lot of good friends out there, you know, still just staying connected with them that way, see what pops next. And, you know, I'm going to help out with some other, some other folks that are doing some good things for uh, some of this human trafficking and everything Mm -hmm. else. So going to, going to do some stuff with, uh, with them, because I think it's, uh, that's the thing that it, 
really means something to me with, with everything, you know, that's just something that you need to get rid of evil. Yeah. And you have a, that, that background that allows you to, to do something there. Amazing. Amazing. What are you going to get any hunts with, uh, with Kyle again this next fall? What was <laughs> it? What you got? What are your plans? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We're going to, you know, we'll see what happens and start putting things together. I mean, it's, uh, it's still early enough out that we can, you know, got some time to figure out what hunts are what. And, uh, because my first hunt with him was out in Lake Alice in Wyoming and it was a bow hunt for elk and, um, and he was thinking, oh man, you know, cause he's brought other guys back out, uh, guys in military and, you know, they don't want the suck fest anymore. They want to drive and, <laughs> you know, get out of the cabin yeah. and whatever. And, uh, and it was great. It was a, it was a suck fest because, you know, you're out in the train, you're going up and down. And I think I did like 70 something miles walking in, um, you know, nine days that we're out there, Dang. but I wanted that elk, you know? So <laughs> I was like, you know, even if it's a tough hunt like that with Kyle, I'm, I'm ready to go as long as he's, he's ready to go again. But I think Kyle's getting a little soft in his, you know, old age. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. He's doing some amazing stuff. Uh, what a great guy. I, yeah, I had to cancel all my hunts this fall. There's just too much, too much going on. I mean, it's great, great problem to have, but you know, some yes. of those things are on the books for, for like years, um, you know, Alaska and that sort of a thing. But, um, anyway, it's just how it, how it goes right now, but I, I need to get more yep. organized in 2023 here. That's my goal here is to get a little more organized so that I can, uh, go on some of those hunts and take the kids on the hunts too. That's the, uh, the part for me these days that, uh, that I enjoy the most is getting the kids out there away from the iPads, away from the iPhones and that sort yeah. of thing and, and get out there, uh, with them and, and, uh, hopefully, um, spend some time that they'll never forget. Exactly. I think that's key. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to get my son on this hunt with, uh, with Kyle and I just there in December, but he just wasn't able to make it with his, uh, his leave dates and everything like mm -hmm. that. So, um, yeah, we'll get him out there again soon though, because I mean, it, I got to do a hunt. Kevin Holland hooked me up with some folks and we went down to, to Florida and did the gator and hog hunt. Oh, nice. I, I, yeah. I got to do that with my son. So that oh, was, cool. that was really, Oh, cool. I think he told me about that. Yeah. He told me about that. Yes. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Kevin, what an amazing guy. Gosh. Um, ah, oh, cool, man. Cool. Well, thank you for taking this time today. You know, I hope we can, uh, you know, link up in person, either on a hunt or on a movie set, um, or at SIG Academy or something. I think I might need a tune up. I might need a tune up. I'm doing a lot more <laughs> typing these days than, than, uh, than I'm doing shooting, but, uh, yeah. that would be a great to, to get on a range or just hang out, uh, together in person one day soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I hope so. And then get rid of that carpal tunnel syndrome. You Seriously, got. <laughs> Seriously. That's the only thing on me in shape, uh, these days, uh, man, and where can people find you? It's the Instagram, right? Yeah. Just, uh, Instagram, chili Palmer shooting. And so, nice. uh, you know, just staying, staying low profile and everything else, but that's, that's like one of the media things that seems like it connects with so many people. Yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. Well, thank, thank you for doing this and thank you for everything that you've done for this nation in 25 years. Um, man, most of those at the tip of the spear, it's sincerely appreciated. And, uh, thanks for, for being such a, such a great guy on the outside now that you're out. And when you mentioned before about being able to get along with people, I can 100% see how military people go to Hollywood and have in mind that they're going to tell them how it's done type of a <laughs> yeah. thing and how that's not really going to work. I mean, it's a, it's no. a, it's a new team and you adapt and you build trust and you have to understand the medium in which you're working, um, and be able to speak that language yep. as well. And not just throw a bunch of military stuff out there that they don't <laughs> understand. You got to learn that language, learn the language of the culture type of a right. deal that you're stepping into. Um, and, uh, and be someone that people want to work with. 
Um, and I, exactly. you, you, have, you have that in spades. So I think that's, uh, I can see why you've been so successful working on these films. It's, uh, it's readily apparent. So uh, congratulations on all of that. And thank you for, uh, for all you've done. Uh, thank you. And yeah, thank you for your service as well. I mean, it takes, you know, more than one of us to do this. And the good thing is there's still a lot of good guys out there. Yep. I think about them every day. Sun's going down here and it's pretty nice up here in, in Utah, uh, in the mountains. And I always think about those guys as the sun's going down. I know it's, it's, uh, coming yeah. up on another side of the world and there's still people out there doing the job. So, um, man, well, thank you again. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, we'll link up in person soon. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, Jack. Really awesome. appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks. We all know how finances can take a major hit during the holiday season. That's why you need to go to NavyFederal.org and check out everything that they have going on. I have been a member since 1996, and I could not be more pleased with how all of that has gone. Partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. You could get into low APR on balance transfers with their Platinum Credit Card. It's their lowest rate card, and it's a great tool to pay down debt. Navy Federal can even help get you started on your next home improvement project. They offer home equity line of credit with convenient access to funds when you need them at a variable rate. You can also get a fixed rate equity loan that has set monthly payments for large purchases. Consolidating debt with a home equity loan could also streamline and lower your monthly payments. Learn more at NavyFederal.org where their members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Loans subject to approval, call one 888 842-6328 for details about credit card costs and terms. H-E-L-O-C APR as low as 6.5% as of November 23rd, 2022. Black Rifle Coffee Company, the coffee that I drink every single day and powers me through my novels. Black Rifle Coffee Company set out on a mission to make the best cup of coffee that's ever hit your mug. The dream was to sell enough premium coffee to be able to build a support network for veterans, first responders, and law enforcement. Thanks to your support, all that dream has become a reality. Black Rifle Coffee is roasted by a veteran-led team of brilliant coffee graders here in the United States who work tirelessly to roast and bag the highest quality coffee right here in America. The coffee is truly one of a kind, but it's your support that gets gear, funding, and supplies into the hands of those on our front lines. This year alone, your support has helped Black Rifle Coffee Company expand our team of active duty service members, veterans, and veteran family members. Black Rifle was also able to donate over 120,000 bags of coffee to veterans and first responders in 2022. All thanks to you. Purchase at blackriflecoffee.com and use code DANGERCLOSE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. That's blackriflecoffee.com and use code DANGERCLOSE20. You can also find Black Rifle Coffee in grocery and convenience stores near you. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. You know there are different grades of fuel for your vehicle, but did you know there's different grades of fuel for your mind? When your mind gets low-quality fuel, it gets easily distracted, fatigues quickly, and leaves you swamped in brain fog. But when it gets high-quality fuel that's packed with the electrolytes it needs to operate at optimal levels, your brain cells fire more quickly and efficiently, which keeps you focused, energized, and ready for anything. 
That's why Navy SEAL veteran Nick Norris created Protect Hydration. It's an electrolyte supplement that contains the optimal ratio of electrolytes your mind needs without any of the sugar, artificial sweeteners, or other junk it doesn't. And people love it so much, it sold out three times in 2022. They just got some back in stock right now. Danger Close listeners can get 25% off. Visit Protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Danger Close and start giving your mind higher quality fuel today. Once again, visit Protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com slash Danger Close for 25% off. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. First off, thank you to Badass Workbench for this incredible desk right here. This thing is solid. Be sure and check them out at badass-workbench.com. All right, first up, Sig Sauer. All right, this is a pretty cool one right here from Custom Works Shop. Go to sigsauer.com to check it out. But look at this thing right here. What is this, you may ask? Well... This right here is the P226X5 Classic. Look at that thing. Awesome. So this has 20 round mags right here. Uh, it's ready for an optic right there. You can adjust the trigger. Uh, this thing is solid. Look at that thing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, 226X5 Classic. So check it out. It also comes two extra mags right here. Of course, a coin. And right here... It comes with a digital recreation of your target where they do the test fire. So look at all those. All those, one, two, three, four, all of those touching right there. So that is pretty cool. Uh, so that comes in every box right here. So uh, check that out for sure. Sig, thank you so much. I cannot wait to give this thing a run. It is a favorite of Max Michelle. If you know him, he is a world champion shooter, shoots for Sig. Uh, also, an awesome guy. So be sure to check out his Instagram as well. He's fantastic. So uh, Sig Custom Works, awesome. All right, what else? Let's go to this thing right here. Look at that. How cool is this? So Land Cruiser, if you've been following me for a while or read the books, you know that I'm a fan of Land Cruisers. There might be one or two parked in the driveway right now. And uh, right here, so Wands Woodshop on Instagram. Go to Wands Woodshop and then in the bio, Click on that to take you to his shop. Uh, this is awesome, all made by hand right here. This FJ62, cross tomahawks on there, and look at that brass in there. This thing is awesome and ready to go on the wall. So um, Wands Woodshop on Instagram. Click on that link in bio and uh, head over to see what he has going on. So thank you so much. This is, this is awesome. Really appreciate that. Uh, what else here? Uh, Hooten Young. Look at this. Aged 15 years, this particular one right here. Uh, Norm Hooten, of course, was at the Army's premier special operations unit. You might remember uh, him from the movie Black Hawk Down. Uh, but right here, Hooten Young Whiskey. I've been drinking a little bit of this lately. And thank you guys. Send it out. Hat. Bam. And the shirt. So uh, very cool. They also have some... Pretty nice cigars as well. So go to hootenyoung.com, check out the whiskey, check out the cigars, check out the merch, and uh, awesome. That was really cool. So thank you. And hey, if you're getting whiskey, might as well go to officialjackcar.com. Also, click on shop for the merch and leather coaster right there. And these things are pretty cool. Slate coaster 
right there with the cross tomahawks. Very cool. What else? All right. Dynamis Alliance, crusheverything.com. My buddy Dom Rosso over there. And in this box right here is the new Combat Flathead right there. And in this one right here, Dom put the cross tomahawks on there. We're actually doing a giveaway with uh, a whole bunch of Dynamis stuff. And it'll include a combat flathead with cross tomahawks engraved on it. So uh, check, go to, uh, be sure to go to my Instagram at Jack Carr USA. And every month there'll be a different giveaway. So if you miss this one, you're listening to this a little later, uh, then I think every month this year there will be a giveaway. But February's is a bunch of Dynamis gear, Dynamis Alliance gear that will include right here, one of my favorite pieces of kit, the combat flathead. Awesome, Dom, thank you, my friend. And what else? Nick Norris over at Protect. Look at this one right here. They do supplements. They do sunscreen. Um, you might have heard me talk about their hydration stuff before. But right here, this is Brain Function Clarity Performance Mushroom Blend. I might have some of this right after this podcast. P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com. My buddy from the SEAL teams, Nick Norris over there. And uh, veteran-owned and operated Protect. What's this one right here? This one is the Primer Watermelon. So check out everything they have going on over at Protect. Once again, that is P-R-O-T-E-K-T dot com. All right. That does it for today. Take care out there. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all, and they are always pushing pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation they crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, it will never be forgotten. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. Only the Dead, the next novel in my James Reese Terminal List series hits shelves this spring. Go to officialjackcar.com, click on Only the Dead for a sneak peek and to pre-order now. For more on Craig Chili Palmer, go to Chili Palmer Shooting on Instagram to check out what he has going on. If you like that conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. Officialjackcar.com is the website. You can click on shop for the merch. You can also sign up for the newsletter there. And until the next time, take care out there. Be safe, stay strong, keep fighting.